We had hoped and prayed for weather today that was different, but uh, perhaps God's reminding us. You know, we had a great week. All this was, I mentioned all those things to, what does all that got to do with Easter? It was all Easter week. Last week was Palm Sunday. And all this week, God just was doing just a great work. We prayed for better weather, but uh, maybe he's reminding us of something. Because it's not sunny outside. Maybe God's reminding us that the work of the resurrection takes place on the inside of our hearts, not based on the circumstantial things around us. Because you don't need a sunny day to have joy in your heart. You know, that's what God may be reminding us here this morning. Whether it's sunny or gray, we have a reason to rejoice. Amen? Hey, let's stand first. Let's open up this service in prayer. I want to pray over this service. I want to pray over our nation. And uh, really the world was something that we've been doing for several years now, praying for revival in America. When I look around and I see all these different faces and you know, you, all of you from different backgrounds, different communities, many of you, we even have uh, several people in our church from different countries. I asked one Sunday, how many speak a second language? We had quite a few hands go up. And so God has a heart for the world, but uh, we need revival in our country. You saw what happened earlier this week. In the same Easter week in Brussels, people killed again by terrorism, the hatred and sin in this world. And whether it's in Brussels or Paris or San Bernardino or New York City, we're all connected in that way. And God so loved the what? World that he came. That's what we're here to talk about this morning. So let's just pray. Father, we pray, Lord, uh, <clears throat> we do want to lift up those that are in Belgium. We pray that you would, uh, you would comfort them. We pray for our nation, Lord, that you would turn our hearts back to you. I pray that every service in America where the gospel is being preached, that lives will be changed. Lord, we know that revival will come not through political campaigns, but through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would raise up, even in this place today, disciples, but not only here, but around the world. We pray that you would call the world unto yourself. We pray that you would call our nation back to you. We pray that we would see families, uh, Lord, reunited. Lord, that you would uh, heal broken families and those that are uh, just hurting in so many ways. As we go into the Bonaire Correctional Facility tonight, we pray that we would see uh, young people come to know you. The guards would be impacted. Lord, we just ask that you would bless and pour out your spirit on this service. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hands. If you need a Bible, I see a couple of hands up, so if our ushers can help get Bibles to these folks that need one. If you need a Bible, you can keep it too. We're glad to give it to you. And once you do get a Bible in your hand, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. First book of the New Testament, last chapter of the first book, Matthew chapter 28. Just a few verses. If you're visiting with us, we do a verse-by-verse study of the Bible. We are wrapping up the body, uh, the body, we put body and all that together. Anyway, we're wrapping up the book of Luke. Uh, we've got a few, a couple months left to go. We'll finish the book of Luke in June. And again, I'm telling you, if you don't know if this isn't your church home, then on Wednesday nights, we are going to start, first Wednesday in April, in the book of Proverbs. It's a new study. We finished the book of Ezekiel, Calvary Chapels worldwide. We generally all go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and then I'll do topical from time to time. Today is a topical message on the resurrection, but uh, we'll be getting into the book of um, Galatians uh, come this summer when we're f- finished with Luke, 
and we start Proverbs on uh, Wednesday nights in April. But today, uh, we're going to look at the resurrection specifically, and we're going to look at it from Matthew chapter 28. There's four Gospels where this is recorded. Each of them have different uh, facts that you won't see in the other, different nuances, but we're going to look at just verses 1 through 8, Matthew chapter 28. So if your Bibles are open, let me read verses 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, that would be the Saturday for us, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with great with fear and with great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Let's actually read the next two verses too. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Lord, we ask again for your Holy Spirit to fall upon this place. Make what we've perhaps heard many times fresh, new, different than maybe we've heard it before, that it would draw us ever nearer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, Empty Tomb, Mission Complete. Empty Tomb, Mission Complete. What a turn of events. To go from the saddest day of one's life, witnessing your master and your Lord crucified. We've never seen a crucifixion. I don't think anyone here has seen one in person. Sadly, in our lifetime, they have returned to the Middle East right now. But it was a brutal, brutal thing that Rome would do. Rome, Rome carried out thousands of crucifixions. But they had seen their Savior, Jesus, crucified, their master, the one who they had been following and that was the, probably the saddest day any of them could ever, ever think of. But then, this day, Matthew chapter 28, the most joyful day imaginable. Not just to know that Jesus is alive. They found out he really was alive, exactly as he said, as the angel said, as he said he would do. Not just that he was alive, but his presence was there, and they could literally fall at his feet and worship him. If you take a look at all of human history, matter of fact, if you took all of human history and stretched it out as a timeline, I love maps, I love timelines, it, I'm, I, I visually get and understand what I'm looking at when I'm able to see things represented like that. So if you took time from Adam and Eve till today, March 27, 2016, you stress it out on a timeline, the three or four days, and I say four because... We'll talk about the Passover feast and how it relates to the, the three days in the grave. But if you take the three or four days that were remembered during this week, 2,000 years ago, 
just these three or four days, they would be a really undefinable speck on the timeline, right? You're talking thousands of days from Adam and Eve till now, and these three or four days would be a little tiny speck on that timeline. But if you took those same three or four days, you know the scales, like Justice Holes blindfold holding those scales? If you took those same three or four four days, or let's say God took those three or four days, and placed them on a scale and placed all the other days on the other side of the scale, guess which days would weigh more than all the others? These three or four days. They would weigh more than all those other days. Some celebrate the resurrection and perhaps go to an Easter service. Not just here. There will be thousands of Easter services around the country. Several hundred right here in Richmond. And some will go to services, but they still don't really appreciate the scope of what God did, what he's done for them personally, what he's done for the whole world. Millions, millions actually won't attend an Easter service today. I was riding out of my neighborhood, seeing people, you know, working in the yard, getting stuff done, you know, chilling out. Many won't, many won't uh, celebrate a service today because why? They find there's many things that are far more interesting than the resurrection. They couldn't be more mistaken, could they? What happened 2,000 years ago, it altered eternity. And it's of critical importance to every single person alive or that ever has lived or ever will live, whether they know it or not. Gravity is important whether you know about it or not. True? That's why I don't go skydiving. Because I know it's important. Next time I come fly out of the sky, I'll be with Jesus, and I'll be fine with that. I don't need to jump out of a plane to see it. The joy that Mary and the others experience here, their response is what? It's immediate worship. They fall at his feet. And this will be our response when we understand the gravity of victory in Jesus. What do we do? What do we have if there is no resurrection. You ever thought about that? Jesus dies on the cross. All right. Dies on the cross. Critically important that he does this. But what if he dies on the cross, but there's no resurrection? If he sheds his blood, but he doesn't conquer the grave three days later, as he said he would. He said it at least three times to the disciples before he did it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're in Matthew, just keep going right for a while. Past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. Go to the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth, located in Greece. Paul wrote this to them. Now the Greeks, if you don't know uh, why Paul wrote this to the Greeks, the Greeks, they gave us people like Plato, Right? Aristotle. They were big-time intellectuals. They were very smart. We still use some of the things that the Greek culture, even to this day, whether it be mathematics, science, government, and they really they don't understand this whole resurrection. Physically speaking, bodies don't get back up and walk again. That doesn't happen. 
unless, of course, you're God. And so Paul writes to them. They live in Corinth. And this is what he says. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now what's all that about? Well, notice that Paul goes all the way back to who? Adam. He takes it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He's like, in the original sin, when man fell, death came. And he says only God could send what could fix that problem, and that would be that God would have to come in human flesh, who's the only one that could actually rise from the dead. So to the Greeks, he's saying, hey, I understand you, you realize that people don't rise from the dead, but Jesus isn't any person. He's God in human flesh. He spoke the world into existence. He even created Adam so he can do what no one else can do. But the blood was required, but so was the grave. Now, in the book of Job, you don't have to turn there. The book of Job, Job was a contemporary of Abraham, same time period. And Job wrote these words in the 19th chapter. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. He shall stand at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Way back, same time as Abraham, Job knew that he would be raised from the dead because he said that his Redeemer lives. Do you realize that even way back then, the prophets and the scriptures were saying, God is going to send one who will rise up and bring to life those who put their faith and trust in him. The solution to the fall of Adam and Eve and the entrance of sin and then the resulting death for all of us and ultimately hell. Hell was created for Satan and his angels, but then once Adam and Eve fell, we all fall into the same condemnation, which is hell, unless God intervenes, right? There's a big unless here, right? Unless God intervenes, right? Say, I'm going to lose my job unless, fill in the blank, the company changes its mind, right? All of a sudden, economic conditions change. There's always in life some unlesses, but none like Jesus, none like him. He was promised and foretold by God all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he would crush the head of Satan. From the beginning, though, God said, even in Genesis, it would have to require shed blood. And God would have to complete the work because nobody else could die and then rise. And so what started in the garden, it was sin that involved a tree. Think about this. In the garden, there was a tree. Sin started when God said, don't eat of that tree. They ate of that tree. What would finish in a garden was God's risen son. Also, a tree was involved because victoriously he had taken the sin of the world on a tree. And he's buried in a garden. 
These things aren't coincidences. God had it all laid out in advance. Everything that went wrong in the first garden, Jesus would make right when he rose in the garden where the tomb was. Make sense? Everything that went wrong in that garden, he would make right when he rose in the garden. What I'd like to do this morning is just share with you what took place those few days. Maybe make a little clearer what Jesus pulled together in completing the Father's will. Because he had to pull all the prophecies, all the things that God said must happen. He pulled it together in his life. Uh, That is why Luke, after the resurrection, Luke wrote these words. He said that all the written scriptures from Moses to the prophets concern Jesus. All of them. So if you say, well, I'm Jewish. I only believe the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Great. Jesus says it's all about him. Let me first lay out the days of this weekend that we're celebrating. It wasn't a weekend in the sense because it involved the end of the week, but also the start of a new week, first day of the week. But we call it the weekend, so we'll use our vernacular for today, right? It started, we'll actually go back to the beginning of the week. It started what we would say a week ago with what is referred to sometimes as Palm Sunday. What was Palm Sunday? Well, it was when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. People put their clothes down, waved palm branches. They were shouting, worshiping. Then for the next four days, as the Passover lamb had to be examined, uh, it was Passover week, and the Passover lamb had to be examined for four days for any spots or blemishes before you could sacrifice the lamb. Guess who they examined for four days as well? Jesus, the temple. He was there preaching, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, They were all there to inspect him, but they couldn't find any fault in him. So, then comes later in the week, it's the Passover meal. He then sends his disciples, at the same time as being betrayed by Judas, he sends pierced, whipped and striped, sin was no leaven. And so Jesus, as he broke that cracker, if you will, it wasn't like a loaf of bread. He broke that. He said, this is my body is broken for me. He does that at the Passover meal, revealing that he is the lamb. Well, after they partake of that meal, he heads out with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been right in the garden, uh, right there. It's at the foot of the Mount of Olives. You look right back up into the city. He heads down to Gethsemane. There he prays. There is where he's betrayed, right? Judas comes, they take him, they take him away. He goes to Caiaphas the priest that night. He's tried in the middle of the night. It's a kangaroo court, if you will. Trumped up charges, everything's false. They're afraid to arrest him in daylight because the crowds still listen to Jesus and there would have been a riot. They take him in in the middle of the night. The Sanhedrin's there, the entire council from all over Israel. They're there. They condemn him to death, but they can't kill him, so they have taken to Pilate. Taken to Pilate early in the morning, Rome has to finish the job. So Jesus is finally condemned. He's on the cross that next day. And then he has to be buried before the day ends, according to Jewish tradition, and then he would rise the first day of the week, three days later. So that's how it all goes. I just wanted to give you a backdrop First and foremost, now understand too, 
this, I, I mentioned Passover week. Because we don't celebrate Easter or the resurrection with Passover week, we lose some things that are valuable. If we, you know, in the, uh, the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, a decree was made that Easter or the resurrection celebration would be observed the first Sunday after the first full moon, not in concert with Passover, which is really confusing to people because we're celebrating Easter, resurrection, and really Jesus did not die and rise this week. It was coming up and Passover season. The Jewish calendar is correct. Ours is incorrect. I'm here to tell you. I'll celebrate celebrate it anyway because I can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus any day of the year. But I'm just telling you, factually, we should be celebrating it in concert with Passover because that's where it actually fits. But I'm trying to reach Jewish people and Gentiles, so we'll celebrate it this week, next week, however many times people will come. After all of that. You know, Jesus did complete the work. But I want you to think, as I, I'm going to read something to you in just a minute. It's the crux of what, what I'm here to share. Jesus, think about his life. I want you to know this in the back, background as I read something to you that I've written. Jesus, every day, got up knowing where he was headed, not on vacation Tahiti, in Tahiti or something. He actually knew they were going to drive nails in his hands. He knew they were going to beat him, mock him every day. Now, if you knew that that was your fate, you'd probably get on a plane and head the opposite direction. Didn't have airplanes back then, but you know what I mean. We'd run in the other. I would say, but if I can avoid that, I'm going to avoid it. But he didn't. He walked straight into it. Why? Well, I've written something. Some of you that were uh, here at our Christmas, you were here at our Christmas um, service. I wrote my second poem ever around Christmas. Now, originally I was a journalism major, so writing uh, is something that I do do, and I have to write a lot as a pastor anyway. But at poetry, I'd written one poem back in the year 2000. It wasn't a rhyming one. It was something that I was on a business trip, and God laid something on my heart, and I just started writing down. And then I felt led to write a second one at Christmas. And I felt led to write my third, and this doesn't mean I'm going to write fourth, fifth, sixth, or whatever. This is just whatever season. I felt led to write a second one. I thought it would come as fast and easy as the Christmas one came to me. It didn't. I've been working on this for a month. And yesterday I finished it at 10.30 last night. Final edits. I'm just making just kind of little things. and, And the Lord put this on my heart. And even though it's a poem, it's really not a poem in one sense. This is, the, I'm going to read to you, and this is going to be the crux. I thought it was going to be supplemental to the message. It's actually elemental to the message. It's central. And I want you to listen to the story of Christ. Yes, it rhymes, so hopefully that'll help you to grasp things. Many people, I, I, I love working with young people. I go to the prisons. I work with kids that I see anywhere and say, what do you know about the Bible? And I find that their knowledge of the Bible is about this deep. So the Lord put on my heart, it rhymes, it's poetry, but really it is the story of Christ put to a, a, a canvas, if you will, that allows you to see, oh, that's what God was doing. 
That's how he laid it out. Because here's the thing. You'd have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'd have to stitch it all together to do what I've attempted to do here, and that's to take the Synoptic Gospels and put it into one format. So, this is it. I want to read this to you. This is, actually the, this is actually the majority of everything we're going to do. When, I, when this is done, we're going to be done. But I want you to hear it. I'm going to start. It's called The Reason. Why did I call that? Well, I want you to know the life of Christ and the reason he came. He had come for just one reason, just one reason to be sure. For mankind had had a problem that was desperate for a cure. It had started in the garden. Sin had given birth to death. Now for every person ever born, they would breathe a final breath. But it wasn't just the body that would fade and finally die. The soul would stand in judgment for accepting Satan's lie. The Father, Son, and Spirit were in unity agreed. The cure alone was Jesus, his blood upon a tree. From Abel to the Exodus, his blood was seen in type. But he wouldn't come and walk the earth until the time was ripe. Moses was a deliverer, Joshua and Samson too. But none of them could do for man what the coming Christ could do. David, a king after God's own heart, would rise and take the throne. Yet he looked ahead to the one from God, who for sin he would atone. The prophets wrote about him, longing for that day when the spotless Lamb of God would come and take the curse away. He finally arrived one cold, dark night in a lowly, humble stable, hardly looking like the one set apart and fully able. Joseph, Mary, some shepherds too, they saw this little face, but they didn't fully understand he had come to take their place. Thirty years would quietly pass. The time was drawing near. Then John, who came in camel skin, cried out for all to hear. Prepare your hearts, look up to God, repent and turn from sin. The Lord himself will send a lamb and cleanse you from within. Then one day, the lamb appeared. The perfect son of man. He came and sought the prophet John according to God's plan. John saw him from a distance. His lips, they mouthed, behold. He knew this was the promised one in scriptures from of old. John, he felt unworthy, for Christ was from above. But they went into the water. The spirit descended like a dove. Jesus then went to the desert to prepare, to fast and pray, Forty days of hunger and trial, more intense with each new day. Satan was there at every turn to tempt, to taunt, to lure. But Jesus relied on the word of God and remained completely pure. He left the desert and headed up to Galilee by the sea. There he would choose twelve disciples that for three years he would lead. Twelve imperfect men who would hear him and believe. Listening, learning, asking. His truth they would receive. Three amazing years with the world's only sinless man. Trying to comprehend and grasp anything they can. They saw him heal the sick, the lame, the blind, the broken too. He did this both for Gentiles and many, many Jews. He cast out demons, healed the lepers, even raised the dead. He easily fed more than 5,000 mouths with two fish and five loaves of bread. One night he walked on water. He calmed a stormy sea, countless signs and miracles in the land of Galilee. 
He went from town to town showing love to the lowly and poor. Even when exhausted, he would push on to touch and heal the more. Many thought he was a prophet sent by God to lend a hand, to speak God's word, to offer hope, and deliver an occupied land. Others said that he was a fraud. They critiqued and looked for flaws, repeatedly attempting to see if he had broken any laws. But Jesus, being the Son of God, could see what no one else could see. He routinely spoke just a few pointed words and revealed hypocrisy. The ministry of Jesus drew to a close at the age of 33. He headed to Jerusalem one last time to hang upon a tree. His disciples didn't recognize that this trip would bring great grief. They thought he was going to the holy city to observe the Passover feast. He had told them before he would suffer and be wrongly condemned to death, but that he would go there willingly to breathe his final breath. Yet they hardly understood his words of faithful preparation. As he entered the gates of Jerusalem, he was worshipped by the nation. Palm branches in the air, clothing spread out on the ground. Shouts of Hosanna, son of David. Jesus was renowned. But the next few days would witness a sudden, massive seismic shift or change. The religious leaders would seek to show Christ as a deceiver and deranged. They hated all he stood for and plotted his removal. They feared the crowds that heard his words and gave him their approval. Then Judas, one of Jesus' twelve, came with an offer to betray. He guaranteed the temple priest he would move without delay. They offered 30 pieces of silver, the price to move ahead. A deal was on the table to make sure that Christ was dead. Evil filled the room as they planned each detailed step, Satan possessing Judas, which ensured the agreement kept. With the trap now firmly set, Jesus, all-knowing and fully aware, he sends his disciples to go and make ready the Passover to prepare. As Jewish men, they had partaken of many Passover meals. But on on this night, like none before, new light would be revealed. The bread it pictured Jesus, striped and pierced without sin's leaven. The cup would represent his blood that soon would be freely given. But the disciples didn't grasp these things. It would all make sense, but later. Jesus turned and looked at the one resigned to be his traitor. The time was now, the hour was near. Jesus went to Gethsemane to pray. Judas had gone to the temple guards to lead them on the way. Jesus in prayer and agony, his sweat, it fell as blood. The weight of the pain and the hours to come, overwhelming like a flood. But he yielded to the Father, his will, it must be done. This cup, it was the reason, the reason he had come. The time for prayer was over. The disciples had fallen sound asleep. As Jesus had already warned them, they would scatter as frightened sheep. Judas and the guards arrived, a kiss and greeting used. The love and care of his master had sadly been refused. Jesus speaks a word. The guards fall back, his power on display. At the very same time, he heals the guard's ear, yet they lead him swiftly away. To the high priest he went in the dark of the night, the Sanhedrin sitting and waiting. Charges were brought. Accusations were leveled. 
Jesus, they're clearly baiting. Jesus says not a word as the witnesses speak. He knew how the verdict would go. The high priest in anger yells, Are you the Christ? Tell us if you believe this is so. Jesus responds, It is as you say. In the sun he will come on the clouds. The high priest in rage shouts blasphemy. The cry for his death is now loud. They spat in his face. Others beat him with fists. Some slap with the palm of the hand. All through the night, the plan was secured to deliver the Passover lamb. To Pilate, he's brought at dawn's early light. Rome had to give the command. The council was gathered as a unified voice. His death was their wish and command. And demand. Pilate examines Jesus intently. Finding no fault, what do these charges mean? His wife even told him, do nothing to this man. Unsettled, she'd been by a dream. He marveled at Jesus' silence and presence. This is no normal man. That is clear. Jesus says boldly, I am a king, but my kingdom and home is not here. Pilate was troubled. Who is this man, Jesus? How had things come to a head? He sent Jesus to Herod, his peer and his rival. Maybe he'd deal with Jesus instead. Herod sends him back to Pilate, a decision still looming. How would this trial now end? From that day forward, two former enemies, Herod and Pilate, are friends. Pilate's still in great conflict, and the multitude waiting. What would his own verdict be? He sees one last option, a Passover tradition. Perhaps Jesus still can be set free. As was the custom, Pilate offered a prisoner, one he'd released from his chains. But the people's minds, poisoned by the work of the priest, Jesus now held in disdain. Pilate speaks to the throngs. What has he done? Not knowing where all this, now knowing where all this would lead. But the crowd shouted back, give us Barabbas. His blood be on us for this deed. So Pilate resigned. His conscience is guilty. He washes his hand in a dish. Whip him and scourge him. Here's your King Jesus. Now do with the man as you wish. The verdict was given. Things would move rapidly. To a Roman cross he'd be nailed. Satan, the lies, and the long-brewing hatred had seemingly fully prevailed. At about 9 a.m. he was hoisted and lifted. Blood fell from the nails, whips, and thorns. Then mocking and insults from every direction. A steady parading of scorn. Yet he looks at his mockers, leaders and lowly, Gentiles, soldiers, and Jews, and prays to his Father for their forgiveness. They do not know what they do. By 12 p.m., the skies go dark. It is suddenly midnight at noon. Heaven is speaking without human words, and more will be spoken, and soon. On both sides of Jesus, two other crosses, two men with criminal lives, One asks for mercy, Jesus responds, Today you'll be with me in paradise. About 3 p.m., the darkness still heavy, Jesus cries out to his father in pain, My God, my God, why have you you forsaken me? Psalm 22.1 was made plain. Jesus cries out again. The words were, I thirst, his body and spirit both groaning. Yet his purpose resolved, not the nails kept him there. He knew his blood was atoning. With one final cry, he said, it is finished. He yielded his spirit and breath. He had done what he said. He had taken our sin. 
he had given his body to death. At that very moment, inside the temple, the veil top to bottom was ripped. The earth began quaking, Jerusalem shaking, the rocks and the boulders were split. Gravestones were opened, and so were the eyes of some who had witnessed the signs. One Roman centurion and others beside him were convinced now the Christ was divine. Heaven had spoken, nothing was hidden, the skies and the earth in accord. Jesus had done what the prophets foretold, fulfilling God's will and his word. The Sabbath was now fast approaching, only hours of daylight remained. Two unlikely disciples approached Pilate. Can they bury the lamb who was slain? Nicodemus and Joseph of the Sanhedrin, they had bravely and jointly come forward. Joseph, he offered his garden tomb to give, he now learned, was reward. The body was wrapped and carefully laid in the tomb that was readily made. As the stone was then rolled up to the entry, Roman guards were deployed and remained. The Sabbath commenced, the law's day of rest, his body at rest in like manner. His friends and his followers, dejected and mourning, could they go on? Did it matter? Some stayed nearby just wanting to be close to their now former rabbi. Others went home. The thought of the tomb only brought them more tears to cry. But on the third day, on the first day of the week, early before the rise of the sun, the still tomb, it shook, the stone rolled away, and angels from heaven had come. Jesus, he rose, stepped out of the tomb, the barrow clothes laid aside. He had done what he said. He had conquered the grave, a victory only he could provide. He appeared first to Mary, called Magdalene, then to certain other women as well. They would run to the disciples, share what they saw, unbelievable news they would tell. First, none would believe, but they saw for themselves that the stone, it had been rolled away. But the doubts were still there. Could it be true what the women continued to say? Later that day, when it was evening, Jesus suddenly appears. The doors were locked, yet he's standing among them saying peace that replaces their fears. He had finished his mission, their risen Savior, the proof in his hands, feet, and scars. He had taken upon him the fall of mankind, giving hope now to sinners afar. He had shed his pure blood for every sin of God's preordained sacrifice the only shed blood that there's ever been to wholly and truly suffice. But he knew it wouldn't end there at the cross. Death would require defeat. His precious blood, without the grave, salvation is found incomplete. But Jesus, he gives us a finished work. There's nothing left now to do. Jesus Christ accomplished the Father's will, and his heart was for me, and for you. He had come for just one reason, just one reason to be sure. It was his love for man. Now he sits by the Father. He's God's only begotten, the gift of new life in his hands. Right now, he is calling to all who will hear him, his risen life in exchange. For sin, guilt, and death, he'll give of his spirit and impart a miraculous change. Will you put your trust in Jesus? 
Will you follow him today? He'll save you completely. He'll call you his own and take you to heaven someday. We're going to pray. I want you to know every single thing written there was right out of the scriptures. All I did was, Lord, how do I make this rhyme? My wife, I was pouring script, Old Testament, New Testament, page after page. How does it all fit? That's the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the Old Testament, all the way back to the garden. But it all comes down to this. Jesus said, I did it all. Do you believe it? Do you know you need it? I couldn't convince you to take chemotherapy if you don't think you have cancer. But if you're pretty sure you have it, it seems reasonable. The gospel only seems reasonable when you know its value. Otherwise, you might as well stay home and watch football or something else. But if this is important, and this is the greatest thing that ever happened to the earth, and this is the greatest need of every man, woman, child, Jesus is saying, will you put your trust in me? Will you follow me? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close in prayer. But this is the greatest news. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and tell this news. Because for me, I was riding in this morning. I played my favorite worship song twice on the way in and rocked it all by myself in the car because I know my Redeemer lives, like Job said. So I worshiped by myself. I knew that I wouldn't get a chance to worship in here. Seats were taken. There wasn't going to be a lot, but I had made sure that I had my own, you know, one-on-one worship time with the Lord. My favorite song, Stronger, because he died but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's shed his blood for your sin. He's raised from the dead by the power of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so the question is, if, if you're here and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, he's like, will you put your trust in me? You can't trust what a lot of these campaigns are saying, but you can trust what Jesus is saying. You can trust what he's saying. And he is king of kings and lord of lords, but he's also the Passover lamb. So I'm going to close this in prayer. But other heads are bowed, as the best Tuan to play quietly. If there's anyone at all and you say, hey, that spoke to me. I kind of wanted to preach a normal message. God said, no, I want you to write this thing out. It's going to take you a month. That's okay. If one person... If it pricks one heart, if one heart says, hey, God spoke to me, I want to give my life to Jesus, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Our heads are bowed. If there's anyone at all, hey, my, that really spoke to me. I, I do need salvation. I, if The question everyone has, if they died today, would, would you spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Say, well, yeah, I'm a good person, but he, he didn't die for any good people. He died for the sins of the world. There's no one good in this room. I hate to tell you. 
We all fall short. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the scriptures say. There's none righteous, no, not one. I tell people sometimes and say, well, you're, you Christians, you think you're better than that. No, 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 no. My best day, according to the Bible, the best day I've ever had, the day I helped more old ladies cross the street and did this, that, and the other, is filthy rags, according to the Bible. Filthy rags. So as we pray, if you want to come and give your life to Jesus, you can do what I did. 1995. June of 1995. Me and my wife, we were sitting in a seat just like you, and we walked forward, and we just stood at the altar. And we asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And I've never looked back. I've never gone back to the things I used to do. Not that we're never tempted by those things, but I've never gone back. The Lord says, that man died at the altar, and a new life was born. See, with his, with his salvation, he really does bring a miraculous, beautiful, radical change to your life. So I'm just going to pray. If anyone wants to come forward, the worship team starts to sing we pray and open up this altar for anyone who wants to come and give their life to Christ Lord these are your words this is your story the two or three days of what you did if they're set on a scale way more than all of the days of human history combined because your blood and your resurrection is greater than the trillions upon trillions of sins committed in human history and Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they won't. They won't be going with you if you were to return for them today. That they would receive this free gift of salvation. You've done all that could be done. You've conquered the grave. You've shed your blood. Lord, if there's anyone here, I pray that you would speak to them by your spirit. And they're not hearing me. They're hearing you. That your Holy Spirit speaking in the same way you spoke to me. 21 years ago and I knew it was your voice Lord I pray that you draw them unto yourself in your name I pray Amen